0: Well, friends, we are in week two of a series called Marriage Matters. And the reason we're doing this series is because we need to communicate to our own hearts, to our young people in the room, that marriage still matters. It is not outdated. It is not old fashioned. It is not a doomed institution that God is still all the time leading men and women to deep and lasting lifelong joy with each other. True? God is doing that. And if you are currently married, I want to cheer you on and invite you to see marriage uh, from a biblical, godly viewpoint. And I want your great marriage to just become even greater. If you're in a marriage that's struggling, I want to offer you some challenge, some encouragement in this series that would help you sort of uh, adjust some things and work on some things. uh, Not by some creative new technique, but by the way you shift your viewpoint and your heart as you follow Jesus in your marriage. And if you're here today and you're not married, you're single and you wanna be married, I'm with you, I'm cheering you on, praying for you and with you, that God would raise up that right person and lead you to that right person so that you can receive all the beautiful things that God has in store in marriage. Maybe your marriage, um, you were married before and it ended in tragedy or, or it ended poorly, God is not done with your life. There is hope for you. It's not too late. It hasn't been wrecked. You can watch God open up a door you didn't think could be opened. Marriage absolutely matters. God invented it. It's his idea. It's his institution And we're talking about that in this series. Last week, we talked about marriage is a ministry. I tried to point out for us this thing we don't necessarily talk about all that often. But on the day we get married, we pledge ourselves to a sinful person. How crazy is that? I'm going to intentionally enter into a lifelong committed relationship with a flawed, sinful, prone to wander person. So the way we reframe that a little bit in our series is we think, wow, on my wedding day, God gave me a ministry when I married my wife. I suddenly took on a ministry to help her and encourage her and assist her in her own struggles. And I want to make sure that I'm praying for her. I want to make sure that I'm showing compassion for her. Because she is struggling in battles against sin. And sometimes when I experience her as challenging in our relationship... Sometimes it's because sin is just knocking at the door of her heart or sin is winning the day. And I need to have more compassion that my wife is not unkind, that my wife is not cruel, that my my wife is not insensitive. She's just struggling in sin. And when you see it that way, suddenly the heart is tenderized toward your spouse. Well, on the day we got married, for us, Stacy and for me, it was 28 years ago. On the day we got married, she received a ministry as well. She received a ministry to a flawed person. Because all of us, we are a tangle of emotion, of preference, of history, and hormones, And All of that has been grabbed hold of by sin and it creates irritation and challenge in marriage. But when we treat each other with the love and grace of Jesus Christ and we minister to each other in their struggle, there are some beautiful, wonderful, amazing moments. And this is what's the best part of marriage. And if you're not married yet, Lord willing, you'll get to discover this. If you are married, I hope you're discovering this where you can be yourself. Without fear of being abandoned. Where you can be free to be flawed and knowing they're with you because they choose to love you, knowing that you're sinful and you struggle. We are bringing forth this idea, stirring up this idea that marriage is awesome. We don't want marriage to die out. It's God's idea. We want marriage to continue. We want it to be a place of joy and beautiful ministry. It is also, and this is where we come into week two today, marriage has this this strong concept of romance built into it. And you may be thinking, like, I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody talk from a, a church platform about romance before. And, and as we reframed last week, to talk about marriage as a ministry, I'm gonna reframe this week and look at marriage a little bit differently through the lens of romance, just for a minute. What in the world is romance? What counts as romance? If you ask some people and you said, you know, if I bring her flowers and candy, isn't that romantic? And some of them might say, don't you know I'm trying to watch my weight?" Others would say, uh, okay, thank you for the flowers. They're going to sit and look pretty for a day, and then they're going to die. It's a rather dim view, isn't it? Others might say, look, my love language is a Route 44 iced tea from Sonic during happy hour. You can spend just a few pennies, and I will go, oh, baby, you know me. What in the world is romance? Romance. Is it a surprise getaway in a limousine to a four star restaurant? Or is it the sonic drink? Or is it the candlelight dinner, just the two of you in the slow dancing in the living room with the lights turned down? What in the world is romance? It's all of those things. Romance is actually personalized to what touches your individual heart. Somebody in here is like, oh my goodness, if there was a limousine that pulled up and took me to a restaurant and we were all dressed up and there were candles and there was good food and amazing dessert, oh man, my heart's beating fast. And others others of you would be like, that's just such a waste of money. I I, I would not enjoy that. I would not find that romantic at all. I would be stressed out at how we're going to pay for all this stuff. And why did you do that? Why didn't you just get me a sonic drink? You could have gotten some onion rings. That would have been fine. Go all out. Romance, for one, sounds like let's curl up next to each other and watch three or four episodes of our favorite show under a blanket on the couch. Romance might look like something bigger and more extravagant. Romance has everything to do with being personalized for what matters to the person being romanced. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. I want to make a case this morning that the Bible has something to say about what you and I experience as romance. Because when you get down to it, the concept of romance is the strategic engagement of undoing what sin has done. Romance is the strategic engagement And the undoing of what sin has done. Romance is the strategic repayment of what sin has robbed. Romance is the strategic attention for what sin has isolated. It's all connected. So you can... Get ready, we're going to run through a bunch of scriptures today. I want to build a little bit of a case with you this morning. Most of them are going to come up on the screen. Most of them, we're just going to spend a minute there, so you don't necessarily try to look them up. You can write down the references. Uh, But we're going to walk through some scripture passages. I want to start with with how the Bible sort of sets this idea of romance up. Look, first of all, in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit. Don't do anything to make yourself look good. Hello, spouses. Romance is not your attempt to get your spouse to think something awesome about you. Romance is your attempt to make your spouse feel treasured and loved and cherished. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. You do not act romantically toward your spouse in order to earn brownie points. Some of you might think, man, I'm going to uh, empty the dishwasher without her even asking me. That's going to light her soul on fire. That's all right. Because you want to bless her. Some of you might think, well, I'm going to do the laundry before she gets home, and maybe we can have a little snuggle makeout time later. That's selfish. That's manipulation. That's, I'm going to do an act to get a reward. That's not romance. I'm going to light a candle and set a table, and then she's going to be putty in my hands later. Let me get the lip balm on. That's selfish. That's manipulation. What do I have to do in order to get? What are my strategic attempts so that I can manipulate you to where you'll get what I really want? That is the opposite of romance. Romance is is when I study my spouse and I figure out what her deepest needs are, what her longings are, what her preferences are, and how can I make her day? How can I spoil her? How can I bless her? How can I make it about her with no expectation for me? That's romance. Do nothing in of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The word value there is actually, in, in the original language, is the word esteem. The word esteem, and you've heard of self-esteem before, your sense of value and worth. Romance, therefore, is the acting out of Philippians chapter two, where your goal is to increase your spouse's esteem. So that whatever you're doing, a limo ride to a four star restaurant or a sonic drink with a side of onion rings, whatever you're doing is to heap esteem and their sense of value and worth. Upon your spouse. I want my wife to get that Route 44 unsweet tea inside of onion rings because that's her jam, by the way. And she's going to enjoy that great sonic ice. Is there anything better than sonic ice? Come on. She's going to enjoy that and she's going to enjoy those onion rings, but the thing that touches her heart is not in styrofoam in the shape of a ring. The thing that touches her heart is. He thought of me. He knows me. He took time to go out of his way for me. Because in that little moment of getting a sonic drink and bringing it to my bride, I am trying to communicate something. I am trying To value her and to show her that she has value, to show her that she has worth. Sin has robbed us of so much worth and value and. Standing tall confidence as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Sin has robbed us of that. And we feel so less than and beaten down and not enough. And if there's any way, even if it just costs 99 cents, if there's any way that you can communicate value to your spouse, that's romance. You are not less than. You are not nothing. You're something special. You're a treasure to me. And if I thought you would love gold and silver, I'd give you that. But I know you love Sonic. Here's this. Receive it. And feel treasure today. Esteem others. Value others. Others. More than yourself in marriage this is how romance works itself out look at Ephesians chapter 5 we'll just pause there briefly we'll start in verse 21 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ we talked last week about how marriage is a ministry husbands I'm calling you out this morning that you would humble yourself and yield to your wife's desires and preferences in reverence for Christ Do it as worship. I want to serve my spouse today as worship. I want to heap love and affection upon her as worship for Christ. I want to act out how my heart's been changed from it's all about me. Husbands, are you doing that? Are you showing that it's not just all about you? As an act of worship, love your wife. Wives, I am calling you out. Please do not forget Please do not forget that romance is not just a husband's duty. Romance goes both ways in marriage. Wives, are you esteeming your husband every chance you get to the glory of God? Wives, are you submitting to your husband's preferences and desires? Wives, are you seeking to find how you can touch them and show your husband that they are treasured and valued and cherished? How are you living out that you have a changed heart through Jesus? This verse makes it all clear that in marriage, you should have two people mutually blessing each other in reverence for Christ. Skip down a few verses here in Ephesians 5. We come to this passage in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The challenge here is to love. It's an action word. Take action. Love your spouse. And do so in the same way that Jesus has loved you. How has Jesus loved you? Sacrificially. There were days I really wanted to watch the football game, but we watched Downton Abbey. There are days she'd really like to watch the great British bake-off, but we watch the NFL. I'm triple blessed because my wife loves football. Hallelujah. (laughs) Be jealous. There is sacrifice in romance. And that is so in keeping with the biblical command, love like Jesus who sacrificed and gave himself up. When you come home, I know you're tired. You've been dealing with your own sin struggles, with your own work struggles, with your own school struggles, whatever you're dealing with. When you come home, look at that one that God has given you and love them intentionally, sacrificially, unselfishly and study them and think about what their heart needs in that moment. So that as the world has beat them up out there, when they walk in your house, they are treasured. I love this verse in the way that it talks about how Jesus gave himself up for her, the church, the bride, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church. Goodness gracious. Husbands, sacrificially love your wives. And in doing so, she will shine from the inside out. There's something about a woman who feels loved. There's something about a woman who feels secure and treasured. And she shines. Wives, the same way. Love your husbands as Christ has loved you. We're going to spend a few minutes in looking at a couple of the great love story moments in the Bible, romance moments in the Bible. I'm going to start first of all in Genesis 29, the story of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob is uh, son of Abraham and father the the 12 tribes the, the sons would be the 12 tribes and there's such a beautiful story here of romance and love going on in the bible you better believe it the bible talks about love and romance god cares about your marriage that romance is alive in your marriage not romance of candles in order to get some lip lock not good deeds and chores in order to get some snuggle time But romance as this thought of loving for the intention of heaping affection and esteem upon your spouse. Genesis chapter 29. Since then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. And he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. Time out. I want you to get this picture. In the middle of nowhere, probably some hills. And they come down in the valley here and there's a well. And it's got stones built around it. And there's a cover on the top of the well. We'll find this out in a minute. And there's three flocks of sheep. Not three sheep, but three flocks of sheep. So it's smelly. There's some sheep kind of hanging around. And they're all waiting to be watered from this well. Let's read on. And Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. Well, he said to them, well, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. And then Jacob asked them, is he well? They said, yes, he is. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. So a fourth Flock of sheep is coming in. And maybe they saw her off in the distance because they're going to have a conversation for a minute before Rachel and her sheep get there. And so they see Rachel kind of coming down toward the well. Here comes Rachel with some sheep, his daughter. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, the shepherds replied, until all the flocks have been gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. And then we will water the sheep. Now think about that for a minute. Why in the world would a stone be on top of the well? A couple of reasons. Number one, so you didn't have trash and junk and dust and dirt blow down into the fresh water. Number two, so that you didn't have sheep or small children fall down into the well. It was a protective cover on top of it. They were waiting for the time when all the sheep were there to uncover the well and water all the sheep. we got to wait for them all to be there. Verse 9. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. Hello. This girl's strong. This girl's responsible. This girl can take care of business. And she shows up. She rolls into the well place right here. And, and, and Jacob is just caught and captivated right away she comes as a shepherd verse 10 when Jacob saw Rachel daughter of his uncle Laban Laban's sheep he went over and he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and he watered his uncle's sheep now the Bible tells us he did that but I'm kind of wondering if Jacob's like I want to show her something I'm wondering if he's like, I'm going to go. I'm gonna wait for that well any longer. I'm going to go there and he's, he's lifting that stone. He's looking over here like, yeah, I got this. Isn't it silly what we will do to impress the one we want to impress? You got that crush and you're kind of going, I, I, I kind of want to stand out a little bit and show them what I can do. Maybe that's what's happening here in this moment. But whatever was going on in the moment of moving the rock off the top of the well, Jacob is smitten by this shepherdess. He watered his uncle's sheep, verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. And before you think like, okay, wait a minute, slow your roll, Jacob. You know, that's a little forward, a little aggressive. Hold on. Good job moving the rock off the top of the well, but back off. It wasn't like that. It was a Near East, Middle Eastern custom of kissing probably on the sides of the cheeks. (laughs) So just back off. He wasn't going crazy here. He kissed Rachel. And he began to weep aloud. And he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebecca. So she ran and told her father. I'm going to take a time out there for a minute. I think Jacob wept. I think he wept because he needed some water. I think Jacob wept because he was looking for some people he'd been told he could find. But I also think I also think Jacob wept because he found the one his soul had been longing for. And I want to take a time out here, wives. How long has it been since you helped your husband know that you still think of him as the one your heart had been longing for and didn't even know? Him? Wives? Do that, esteem your husband verbally. Do things, say things to help your husband know he is treasured and valued and loved. Husbands, does your wife still know that when you look at her across the room, a little smile creeps over your heart Not just your face because you think I'm so blessed this is the one I was longing for and I didn't even know it she has put up so much junk I am difficult does she know don't let it go unsaid husbands romance is the intentional engagement in undoing what sin has done it is the intentional engagement in repaying what sin has robbed. It is the intentional engagement of filling up what sin has drained out. And I believe part of Jacob's weeping at this point is him just overwhelmed with this moment with the love of his life. So Rachel runs off to tell her dad that she's met Jacob. And as soon as Laban Um, heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him and he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. And Jacob stayed with him for a whole month. And Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah had weak eyes. I don't know why we needed to know that, but she did. She couldn't see very well. Bless her heart. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Man, some of you have been that sibling. We'll just stop right there. Bless her heart. Leah, she's, she's so smart. Rachel had a lovely figure. It was beautiful. And so Jacob is pretty clear at this point. It says, Jacob was in love with Rachel. I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give, you, give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Men and women who are married, is that showing up in your house? That love is expressed. That love doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you put rings on. It has everything to do that your heart... He's caught up and captivated by this one that you treasure her and then you look across the room at her and you go, yeah, she's still got a lovely figure and she is beautiful and she makes my heart beat fast all these years later. I want to talk to her about that. I want to show her that. I want to demonstrate that to her. I want to get her two 44 ounce drinks from Sonic. Romance has been going on for a long time. And it matters to God. And love between a man and a woman who's going to get married is a beautiful and powerful thing. What you look at a few other verses of scripture from the the book that's referred to sometimes as the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Look at, at some of these passages here. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. She says to her husband, "Look at the next one. My dove in the clefts of the rock. Boom! We were so close. (laughs) My dove in the clefts of the rock. It was. I want to know how it finishes. Don't you?" We're just going to go there. We're just going to skip right ahead and just find it. Songs, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, we Okay, we're almost there. Are we back yet? Yeah. All right, here we go. There's just the days you can't turn there when you want to turn there. Song of Solomon. I think we were looking at chapter 2, verse 14. Thank you. We're not going to let technical difficulty slow us down. Here are the doves. Here we go. My dove in the clefts of the rock in the hiding places of the mountainside. Show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now, that's better than Hallmark. And Hallmark's out of their mind. It's like $8 a card nowadays. How are you speaking and communicating this kind of romance, this kind of esteem-heaping? To your spouse. Let's look at a couple other ones. Let's look at Song of Solomon, um, or Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 10. Song of Songs, 4:10. How delightful is your love, my bride! How much more pleasing is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. That's some good words right there. Solomon knew how to do it. And you don't have to be a poet. You don't have to get out of thesaurus and come up with something crazy. The goal here is that we would follow the biblical example of deep, intense, passionate love where they didn't just have good thoughts about their spouse, but they spoke them. There's a need for romance. There's a need for the spoken word of treasuring and cherishing. Because it builds up the one who has lost some of their heart and confidence. I want to finish with one passage from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Jesus has taken the scroll and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. You know this passage, but I want to connect it to romance this morning. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah reading from the scroll in the, in the synagogue. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is saying this of himself, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners And recovery of sight from the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And yes, that is good news for the financially poor. But that is even more so good news for the poor of heart. Yes, that is freedom for the prisoners who are in a jail. But even more so, that is freedom for prisoners to sin. Yes, that is sight for the physically blind But that is also for the ones who cannot see the beauty and greatness and glory of God. Yes, that is to setting the oppressed free physically. But that's also the one that goes every day. And every day their heart is oppressed a little bit by this modern culture. Listen, Jesus has given you a ministry and he is inviting you to partner with him to fill up your spouse's soul. Bucket here today is just a good representation because marriage and romance in marriage It refills what the world drains out. Everyone who is married has a leaky bucket. And as they go through their day and through their week, friends, your spouse... They wrestle with loneliness sometimes. Even though they're married, they wrestle with loneliness. And when you are romantic with your spouse, when you study them and you think about them and you want to treat them and spoil them and you want to heap esteem upon them and show them their treasure and their love, then all of a sudden you fill back in security where they were feeling lonely, alone. Not alone. I got a spouse who said this or did this. I'm not alone. When you are romantic toward your spouse, and they've been dealing with insecurity, and it's just been draining their heart all day. They look at pictures on Instagram of the other wives, and they're thinking, I'm not enough. My body's changed. It's not what it used to be. Oh man, there's so many good looking girls here and there. And my husband probably wishes he had somebody else. My husband's probably so tired of me. It probably is a chore for him to even kiss me. When all of those lies creep into her heart. And the heart of her, the bucket of her heart gets drained and drained and drained. And then you come and you pour romance to her. What happens is, is that you refill in her with this. You, my dear, are enough. Just as you are. Romance has a purpose. Where you intentionally engage. In refilling what sin drains out. This fallen and corrupted world makes it all about insecurity and shame. And then your spouse may be dealing with comparison. Your husband may think, well, I'm not as successful as so-and-so, and and, and I haven't measured up like so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so has run three Ironman triathlons, and I can tell you what every channel number is on DirecTV and I don't measure up, and you probably wish you were married to them, and this person went out and, and built you know, a, a table for 20 in their spare time, and I, I can't even you know, get a nail in the wall straight. And I'm comparing myself, and, and the husband's comparing, and the wife's comparing herself to other people. When comparison drains out, when you are romantic toward your spouse, you invest, you pour in this idea. That you make them feel special to you, and it it's one of the great privileges of my wife, my life to look at Stacy every once in a while and just say, "I don't want anybody else." You make my heart. Wives, are you saying that to your husbands? Husbands, are you saying that to your wives? Because their bucket is draining every day. And God has given you a ministry. And God has invited you to partner with him in helping to repay what sin robs through their phones, through their conversations, and through just watching people walk around their daily lives. Romance has massive purpose. And then there's, there's spiritual attack it comes on the people. And the bucket just leaks and drains. where there's hardly nothing in it. And when you come and love your spouse in the name of Jesus, to the glory of Jesus, in reverence for Christ, when you esteem them, you are comforting them and ministering to them out of the spiritual attack they've been going through. I think it's probably pretty hard to be a high school kid and go to prom these days. I think promposals are out of hand. You can't just go like, "Hey, hey, you, you want to go to prom with me?" You can't do that anymore. You have to, you know, sort of hire a choreographer and you know do three or four months of planning. And I'm sure there's an app, the Promposal, seventeen easy steps. And you got to go all, you got to top the last thing that was done. It's got to be difficult. Where's the bold young man who's just going to walk up to a young lady and say, I would love to spend an evening getting to know your heart better at the prom. Can I please take you to that event? Would you go with me? No posters, no signs, no posting on Instagram, no hashtag of your two names coming together. By the way, let's save that for marriage. Come on. But sometimes these proposals that are just over the top there's YouTube compilations of them that are like 30 minutes long. They're out of control. Sometimes that makes us think that romance is this big special event. It's the limo and the big dinner when it's really the small things. It's the, the wife comes home after a long day at work and you've grabbed the kids and you're taking them to McDonald's and you have filled the tub and you've left a... Glass of iced tea or Chardonnay by there and a note. And it just says, we are intentionally leaving so you can have the house quiet to yourself. Relax. We'll be back in a couple hours. He gets me. He thought of me. It's not the beverage and the bubbles. It's the thought. He spent no money. It doesn't have to be flowers, although flowers are nice. It doesn't have to be a poem, although nice words, intentionally spoken, would be great. But sometimes it's just turning the TV off. Sometimes it's watching what they'd like to watch. Sometimes it's you walking up for no reason, with no expectation of anything else, but just giving them a hug so that they feel your arms around them. Sometimes it's just grabbing them by the face and saying I'm so happy to be married to you. I don't want anybody else. You make my heart beat fast even all these years later. I love you. I love your body. I love who you are. I love our time together. I love our life together. It's That kind of intentional thing. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be post-worthy. Just make it personal. Do the small thing. Do the small thing that you know will fill up her bucket. And in doing so, You will have brought some relief to one who's been oppressed all day long. You will have built some freedom to a captive to comparison. You will have opened the eyes of your spouse who thought they had to look differently for you to love them. You'll be like Jesus in your romance. You will undo what sin has done. You will refill what sin has drained. And you will be a partner in marriage ministry with God himself. Together, loving your spouse to the full. Let's pray.